for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the very basics, the things that we really need to follow Jesus. All we need is, we need this, we need this. There's very few things that we need. The most important thing that we need, of course, is Him. We need a relationship with Him. And we've talked about the time that we need in Scripture, the time that we need in prayer. And last week, we talked about what it meant to be a disciple, what it meant to be a follower of Christ, what it meant when Jesus said in, in John in John 9.23 that if anyone would come after me, that he, he needs to deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me. We learned about the word Talmud, which was the Hebrew word for disciple, and it was someone that followed their rabbi so closely that they literally went everywhere that they went. They did everything that they did. They modeled and they followed through with the things that their teacher was teaching them. It was so close of a relationship, in other words, that the dust of the rabbi, so to speak, would be on your feet. That's how close that you needed to be. But one of the things I want to talk about today actually is a little different, and it's, it's this aspect of faith. But before we get to that, one of the things I wanted to, to bring up is that there are so many aspects of our life that we need to give to the Lord. We need to give everything to Him. And one of the things we get caught up in in trying to be a disciple, trying to study the Word, trying to pray, trying to be all that Christ has called us to be is this aspect of, of managing failure in our lives, managing sin, managing all the things we've done wrong, all these things that kind of come up and we look back on our past and sometimes our past is something that we just want to run away from. We don't want to, we don't want to deal with or we, we don't realize that Christ as a believer, has already dealt with it. He's already forgiven us for it, and it's behind us and is completely gone. But it continues to crop itself up. I wanted to share a story with you that you know, has been on my mind this week in particular. As a, as a high school student, I've shared some of my stories with you before, but as a, a middle school student, actually, let's start there, going into high school, I was a kid who was not accepted, I felt like, wasn't cool, right? I wasn't in with the other kids, I remember wanting to, to date someone when I was in middle school. Just never felt like I was ever going to be that kind of guy that was going to have a girlfriend that was going to be cool, that was going to be this, be that. And with our school, when we moved from the middle school to the high school, it was almost like you had a second chance, right? You had an opportunity for redemption. You had an opportunity to recreate yourself, so to speak. And that was my goal. And so when I moved from middle school into high school, I was going to be a different person. I was going to be one of the cool kids. I was going to try out sports I hadn't done before. And because of that mentality, when I went into high school as a freshman, my freshman and 10th grade year were crazy. I did a lot of stupid things. And as a freshman, I remember dating a senior. I don't know how that happened, okay? But I'm telling you, it was nothing. <laughs> it was nothing but trouble. And I remember as when the 11th grade year, in 11th grade for me, was, was a turning, it was a change. It was a time when I was invited by the youth pastor slash pastor of our church to go to a retreat from, in North Carolina, in Clemens, North Carolina. So I went from New York to Clemens, North Carolina for a retreat for the weekend. 
And it was there that I had heard that verse, Luke 9, 23, that I shared with you earlier for the first time. You see, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up hearing all the right stuff, all the right things and the stuff I was supposed to do, but it was head knowledge. It wasn't in my heart. You know, I kind of said, as we call the sinner's prayer, if you've ever heard that term before, but I didn't really grasp what it meant to be a disciple, what it meant to follow Jesus. And it was at that camp that I followed through and I I asked the Lord to forgive me for my sins. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do what you just said in that verse. I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross daily and follow you. From here on out, I'm yours. And so when I came back to high school, everything was different. You know, I became that crazy wild person in my ninth and 10th grade years changed from that to being a guy who was walking around with Christian t-shirts and the Bible, reading his Bible in study hall, and then going back to the point where I was in middle school being picked on. But at least this time, it was for all the right reasons. But one of the things that happened as a result of that, when you decide that you're going to follow Jesus, you make some important changes in your life, okay? You make changes that are needed. You realize there are some things that I've done that I don't need to do any longer. These are things of the past. This is what Jesus has called me to do. And so you you follow through with making those changes. But the problem is, is what happened to me is that I felt like in order for me to make those changes that I had to kind of withdraw. Friends that I had been friends with, I kind of began to pull away from. Sports that I was a part of began to pull away from. And I remember creating a Bible club on campus, and we had, it was almost like I had a different group, and there was this Christian bubble that developed in my life within high school, and even at home. My dad and my sister at the time would be watching movies that I would deem inappropriate. No, Dad, I'm not going to come watch that with you. And they got angry with me, feeling like I was being judgmental, and I probably was. I was... I was, if you've heard people say, so heavenly minded that I was no earthly good. I didn't realize that when Jesus said to carry your cross, it didn't mean away from the crowd and everybody else, but it was in the midst of everything else. And so what's interesting is, is that as my senior year rolled along and I felt called to go into ministry, and so I went to Columbia Bible College at the time. Now it's called CIU. And so I was already prepared and ready to go. That's where I was headed and As I was getting ready to pack up things to leave New York and to come to Columbia, I had some things I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with. I had four yearbooks. My freshman yearbook, a sophomore yearbook, and if you opened up the cover on the inside of those things, you would have seen all kinds of stuff written from girls at the time, friends, that was just like, just just crazy stuff that reminded me of what my freshman year my sophomore year was like. And so I had those and I had my other yearbooks that were different. But what I decided to do was, you know what, I'm, I'm moving from Shenango Forks, this little tiny town of Shenango Forks, had a graduating class of like 112, okay, to here. And I, and I decided, you know what, I don't need these anymore. I don't want these anymore. And I remember taking all four of those yearbooks and just throwing them away. Just threw them out. You know, as the years go by, too, all these people that I didn't think liked me or cared about me or whatever, kind of the cool kids, as you get older, things change, right? And Facebook, I began over the, over the years to get requests from all these people. Like, why do you want to be my friend now? You know? And of course, I just, I don't know why. I just said, yeah, whatever. I wasn't the type to 
to ignore those things. And so as posts come up on Facebook, I just remember over the last month actually thinking, who are these people? I don't know what it was, but literally in my mind, it was as if I had just purposely not just thrown away those yearbooks, but I'd thrown away memories. And there was just people that would come up that I just, I don't know, I don't remember anything about you. I wonder if there was some kind of trauma in my past or whatever happened, but I just forgot. And finally, last, the last couple of two weeks ago, there was kind of a straw for me that broke the camel's back, if you will, and I don't know why, but it was this guy from high school. He said, hey, my name is Irving Denny. I don't know if you remember me, blah, blah, blah. And I remembered his name, but I couldn't even picture what he was like. And so I decided at that point, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go ahead and contact my school I'm going to ask them if they have my senior yearbook, and I'm going to see if I can order it from them. I tried to go on. You, know, you, you start looking for that stuff. You run into classmates.com, all this kind of weird stuff online. And, but anyway, they had one left, one left in little Shenango Forks, New York. And the guy's like, you know what? Send 20 bucks and $5 for shipping. Send me a check, and I'll send it to you. And so this, just a couple nights ago, Diane and I got it out and cracked it open. Just began to, to flip through the pages, and then kind of different memories kind of start flooding back to your mind. Thinking about what kind of person I was back then. The differences between freshman and, and my senior year. But I don't believe that I did the right thing by throwing all those things out. I don't believe that pulling away from the community and pulling away from people was the right thing to do. Living for Jesus was absolutely the right thing to do, but I managed it wrong. And one of the things I want to talk about today is this aspect that we have, this feeling we have of how we think we need to manage our sin. One of the things that we have a desire to do is we have a desire to fix things ourselves. We desire to, to do something. Am I not good enough? Well, I will find a way to be good enough, and I will do these things, and I will do these things. And in church, many times we want to we walk away with some notes. We want to walk away with a list of things that says, when I get home, I can begin to work on this, and I can begin to work on that. But you know what? I heard, a interest, heard it put in an interesting way this past week at a conference, and this, this teacher said, Christianity is not sin management. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is not about managing your sin. And looking back over the week, and saying, Monday and Tuesday, ah, oh, those are good days. Wednesday and Thursday, ah, oh, not so good. You know, we kind of balance these things out. Okay, what can I do to course correct and to fix this? It's not sin management. I don't know if you guys are, are following things on Facebook, but I, I went on and, and listed another quote that I had heard that I thought was pretty, pretty amazing. And it reminded me of our church and our desire for what kind of church we want to be. And it says, what if there, he said this, what if there was a place where the worst of me was known? What if there was a place where the worst of me was known, but I was loved anyway? In other words, I could be completely transparent. You would know everything that there is to know about me. You could open up my ninth and 10th grade yearbook and be like, seriously? You know, you would know it all, but you would be loved. And see, we, we, we think about that when we talk about the grace of God, but 
you know, what, what really happens oftentimes is that it's more of a head knowledge thing. Yeah, I believe in God's grace. I believe in God's forgiveness. But from head to heart is kind of a long journey. We say that we believe these things. We know them intellectually. But if we believe those things, then we would actually walk out those things. We would live those things. We would believe in the grace of God. We would trust in the grace of God. And I don't believe that many of us possibly are doing a good job at that. In truly trusting and having faith in what Christ has done for us. And what I want to propose to you today, and there's a flood of scripture that I was overwhelmed with this week. The Lord confirmed all this. Is that we need to move away from sin management, if you will to faith in what Jesus has already done for us and to live in that faith. Because not only is there a place, but there is a person who knows the worst of us, right? Who knows the very worst of us, but loves us anyway. And as a church, we're called to be like Jesus. And so if we ever have the courage to truly share with each other the worst of us, what we are called to do is to love each other and extend that grace anyway, right? How many of you have been in a place that you feel like you can truly share the worst of you with each other and know that you'll be loved, know that you'll be accepted? That's why this church exists. That's why this church is here, is to be a shining light of that kind of grace. You know, I wonder about some people in Scripture. We think about the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son, the story of him? This is the guy that, that left home left his dad and took all the money that he could get from his dad, his inheritance. Guy wasn't even dead yet. And you're thinking, that's despicable. Give me all the money you got. Took off and then says he lived a wild life, right? He lived in ninth and 10th grade year. He went crazy. He did all kinds of things till he literally ran out of dough and found himself at the very bottom. He came back. Of course, he, we see the story of God's grace where where, where his, the father wraps his arms around him. We, we believe he was you know, out in the fields. He saw his son coming, so he was looking for him on a daily basis. We have this great story of grace. But you wonder after a while, after he had been home, if his past ever haunted him. It doesn't say that. You know? Does he ever think back, man, yeah, I got God's grace, but why did I do this? Why did I do that? You wonder if the denials of Peter ever haunted him. Here, Peter was this guy that was, you know, just fired up. Jesus, tell me, you know, you know, I, I want to, there's nothing I won't do. I will follow you no matter what. And Jesus said, what at that, that table, if you know the story? You know, Tonight, you're, you're going to deny me three times. Like, no, wait, well, I'll never, never do that. He had to wonder if Peter's denials haunted him. And I think it did, actually, for a time until Jesus and him got things straight. Because he what? He went back to fishing. Well, that's what I know. That's what I, that's what I do. So I'm just going to go back to fishing. You know, there's a really cool story where we see this actually played out. If you know the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4, there's this woman that Jesus encounters at the well. And they say some people believe that she came out in the middle of the day to draw water from this well because she was a woman that had a reputation. She was a woman that had a background that she didn't want to be around the rest of the crowd. 
You ever not wanted to be around people that, you know, you've hurt or you've harmed in some way, you've done some things because, you know, they're going to say something. You know, you're going to have to face what? Bump into your past. She sought to avoid that and came in the middle of the day, the hottest point of the day, and to draw water. And, of course, she bumps into Jesus. And Jesus kind of pulls back the layers there and kind of causes her to be transparent. And she, she's actually excited because it's probably one of the first times in her life that she's just really been able to speak so freely with someone for someone to see right through her. Because what does she do? She runs into town. She says, let me, let me tell you about someone who knows everything there is to know about me. And it was such a big deal that the entire town said the same thing. Wow, so this is... And then Jesus came and spent two days in that town, and the town was turned upside down because of it. Here's someone that knew everything, all the worst stuff to know about her, and yet she was loved, she was forgiven anyway. The very worst, and yet there was love and there was grace there. So here's, here's something I want to propose to you. The battle, and, and at first it's going to sound, sacri- it's going to sound wrong, but I want to encourage you in exa- to examine Scripture today, this week. Our battle, okay, it's not with sin anymore. Our battle is no longer with sin. When you are, if you are a believer in Christ, you are no longer fighting sin because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did on the cross. He took that away. Instead, what I, I honestly believe in, in many ways is that our battle is not with sin, it's with shame. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, what happened there was that Adam and Eve sinned, and all of a sudden there was something that, you know, they were naked from the beginning, y'all, okay? And then all of a sudden it says they realized they were naked. They had been naked the entire time, so it's, it's something deeper than that. There was all of a sudden this shame that was introduced. Now, what did they do? They tried, if you know the story, to cover up with leaves. We say fig leaves. I'm not even sure if it did not describes what kind of leaves. But they got the biggest leaves they could find, right, and started covering themselves up until God questions them and basically says, what are you, what are you doing? And he goes, as God does, and, and sees right through. He says, have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And then from that point on, there actually is a sacrifice. Sin is dealt with. But there's this aspect of shame that we continually have to deal with. The battle is no longer with sin. Jesus has forgiven us of our sin. That's what the Bible teaches. Our battle is often with shame. And we will get nowhere if we do not trust and have faith in the work that Jesus has already done for you. If you don't believe it, if you don't trust it, you will continue to struggle as a believer for the rest of your life, feeling like you're getting nowhere, beating yourself up every time you fail. If you don't learn to trust and have faith in Jesus, you're not going to grow as a believer in Christ. I want to share some stuff with you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly through it because I know we don't have a, a lot of time here. I've got so much stuff I'd love to share. This is practically a course 
Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. I want this to be the key verse today for you to focus on. I do have that one in the computer. I've got so many other ones, you guys won't find them. So just know that in advance. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this. First of all, how, how are you saved? It says, for by, it is by grace you have been saved. Okay? By grace. And then it says, through what? What's the word? Faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a what? Gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Just leave that on the screen for me for a little while. You've been saved through faith. Nothing you did, not by your works, not by your accomplishments, has this happened. It is through the accomplishments of Jesus, it is through Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, that our sins have been dealt with. And because of that, what? Gift of God, what's required of us is to take that gift and to receive that gift by faith. One of the things that we need, we've talked about getting into scripture, we talked about prayer, we talked about being disciples, but one of the things that we stink at many times is faith. How strong is your faith? And what the Lord has done is what we're going to talk about today. How much do you trust in what he's done? Because we have been saved by grace through faith. Now, this is interesting as we've talked about sin management. As I brought that up a little earlier, there's a verse in Romans that says, For sin will have no dominion or power over you, since you're not under law, but under grace. Okay, that word's going to come up a lot. Paul is talking in 2 Corinthians, and he says this. This is interesting. He's talking about his, his, his trying to keep from being prideful, and he says, but, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There's, there's moments when we, we fail. There's moments of weakness in our life that force us to rely upon God to force us to place our faith and our trust in him. And he says, God says that his power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We still have this desire to do something, don't we? And I'm not telling you to, to do everything you can to get close to the Lord, but can you be any closer? Can you be any more forgiven? Can you be any more loved? Do you have this desire? You know, when we think about relationships, we're used to what? Doing more stuff for someone so that the relationship stays intact, Right? You know, if you have a, a wedding anniversary and you don't get a card, man, those are serious points taken away, right? Is my relationship going to last? You get in an argument, you know, what's, you know, what's, I've got to fix this thing or there's going to be distance and then this could lead to further things, you know, and then who knows what's going to happen. We owe, there, are, there are things in relationships we think we have to work on in human relationships to get closer, to stay closer to each other because what? They're human relationships. 
We have, as much as we don't want to admit it, we have conditional love for each other. If you say nasty things to me, am I going to love you just as much as I did a moment ago? You're like, of course I will. Is that true? How do you feel in that moment? If that continues, what will happen? We have conditional love. God is not like that. He is perfect love, unconditional love. And what we need to learn to do is to trust that. When we mess up, our desire is to, to, to do something to fix it, to do something to, to make things right. Surely God doesn't love me anymore. He loves me a little bit less. So we need to work on something. I'm not saying in all this, this is a big caveat, not to do the right things. I'm not saying you have a license to do, to do sinful things. And you'll see that argument in the Bible. It's just like, you're an idiot for even bringing that up. But the point is, there is nothing you can do to get closer. There's nothing you can do to be more loved of him, more accepted of him. And do you have that faith and trust in what Jesus has done for you? Do you trust this? There's a, a scripture I want to keep in your head. And it's this. It's Philippians 1.6. I don't know if you've thought about this verse in a while, and I don't have it on the screen, so just listen close. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. He who began a good work in you. One of the things we have to do is to trust, again, Jesus. Because when I look at my life, I'm not the way I should be. Something's got to change. I got to do something. Who's the one that's working in you, according to that verse? <laughs> you guys are funny. I want to say Jesus. <laughs> I ain't answering first. I could say the wrong thing. And then you would be banished. We would ask you to, nev to never come back. Jesus, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Christ. He is the one who is working in us. Is there a sin in your life that you're struggling with? Don't answer. You all are, Okay? If there's sin in your life you're dealing with, what should you do about that? How about starting by having faith in Christ? How about trusting in Him to let Him work in you? You see, what, what happens is, is when we fail when we sin, what happens is we get depressed, we, we feel that shame, and that depression and that shame is not based on truth. Because according to Scripture, we've been forgiven. We have received the grace of God. We are, we are saints in God's eyes. We're considered part of a priesthood in God's eyes. But after you sin, do you feel that way? You know? And, and, and we often we don't. We feel that shame, and we're, we're grasping like Adam and Eve for leaves. We're grasping for ways to hide. We often withdraw. We often get angry. You know, my, my continual illustration, and Madonna, I'm so glad you're a partner in crime with me for this so I can lean on you, is the whole traffic debacle, right? Driving from, from home to work in, in one piece. You know, can I, can I get there? 
and not say something, make gestures. I, I'm, I'm being a little bit exaggeratory here. I don't really make gestures, okay? I, on the inside, I'm making all kinds of gestures. But you know what? If it's been a bad morning, or let's say it happened on the way to church, what's the first thing? Oh, how can you be a pastor of a church? How can you teach anybody anything? How can you tell other people about Jesus? How dare you say this or that? But you know what? What's the truth? It's never been because of anything I've done. It's never been because of anything you've done. Billy Graham is not Jesus, okay? And Billy Graham would say, you know what? Again, it's not anything that Billy Graham's done. It's all been because of what Jesus has done. And I believe what will happen is if we truly place our faith and our trust in Christ and that he is the one working in our lives, that better moments will happen as a result of that. Because really what it boils down to, if you will, if there is such a word, is this spiritual insecurity. You ever been around insecure people? Are you an insecure people person? That would be me. And it happens when it comes to our spiritual lives as well. Jesus loves me, and we feel great in church, and then we go and get in the car. And I think, well, it's over. I'm going to have to I have to build it back up to get to that to that place again. And what's what's insecurity? It's not insecurity is not based on the truth, is it? It's based on feeling. It's based on emotion. But let me let me just so you know I'm not crazy, let me just just slingshot some scripture to you. Okay? And and I won't do it for too much longer because I know we're out of time, technically. So so look at this. All right. <clears throat> First of all, God showed his love for us, Romans 5, 8. Ever heard that verse before? While we were what? Still sinners, if you know that verse. He showed his love for us while we were still sinners, and he died for us, okay? In Romans chapter 3, it begins to talk about how no one's righteous, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside their own way, it says their throats and open graves. There's all this nasty stuff talking about how sinful everybody is, Okay? But this is really cool. As it goes on, it says this. It says, For by the works of the law, no human beings will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. What that's really saying is doing, checking off the boxes, following through the Ten Commandments, doing the right stuff, you won't be justified that way. You will never be justified and forgiven and given God's grace by doing stuff. At Christmas time, do you do something to get your gifts? If you're telling your kids that, stop, okay? That's not the definition of a gift. You don't do anything to receive that. That's a paycheck, okay? When you go out tomorrow and begin to work, you do stuff and you expect to receive something. A gift is just that. It is a gift. You did not work for it. You did not earn it to receive it. It is given freely by someone. It says this. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested or it's shown up apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And it says this, the righteousness of God through faith. Say that word with me. Faith. 
that was pretty weak. Faith, I bet you shout at the TV a lot louder when the kicker came out. No! Okay. By what? Faith. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It says, for there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, or the whole sin issue is taken care of by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, you don't have it on the screen, so you're going to have to, like, if you're like me, you have to see it. So I'm going to say it again, okay? You're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Our kicking team, if you're a USC fan, if you saw this video the other night, you know where I'm going, needed redemption. The first dude, Wozniak, whatever his name, couldn't kick, pulled out, put in a new guy this week. He couldn't kick either. And we get to the very end of the game with four seconds left, and they bring out the kicker. Really? And if you're probably me, you're like, I don't know, we got a better shot just lobbing the ball to somebody after what we had seen. But you would have easily have said, this was a guy who needed what? Redemption. Here's your chance, man. Now you can make things right. You've lived so you've done a crappy job of kicking in the past, but now if you just come through in the clutch, all will be forgiven, right? Because we won the game. You're back in the graces again, right? Everything's okay because now you can kick and we love you. We didn't love you before, but if you kick now, we will really love you redemption right and that's how we think we have to live our lives if you know jesus i lived like crap in the past and i've done all these things but if you give me just this one chance to kick it you'll love me but the problem is we miss it again we miss it again and we miss it again and we say i shouldn't even be a kicker at all i shouldn't be on the field and then everything just goes further and further and further down. And with that mentality and with that attitude, nothing gets accomplished. Nothing changes but more shame and more fear and more regret, which leads to more sin that we think we can feel better because I feel like so crummy because I'm in this position and I do things again and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. But here's what this verse is saying. We've all missed those kicks. And it's four points left. And if this game is going to be won, someone has to kick it perfectly through the uprights. But you know what? You're not going to do it. And I know this doesn't work in football, but basically there was a tag that happened, and Jesus says, let me come out and kick the shot for you. And here's the great thing is that he makes it every time. Every time. Because of Jesus, the game is one. doesn't matter how good of a kicker you are. Sure, you want to be a good kicker. Sure, he'll let you come out and, and kick some balls and do those things. That's what you're expected to do as a kicker. But you know what? In the clutch, in every moment, he's the one that kicks for us. And our faith needs to be placed in his work for us. We don't need to be better at managing sin. We don't need to be better, in other words, at, at, at trying to be better kickers. What our real focus needs to be is on having greater faith 
in Jesus. Last week I mentioned that the disciples were people that had to walk as closely as they could with their rabbi. And that's why we find Peter in this particular time telling, he sees Jesus on the water. I'm going to read it to you. We're going to be done. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 14. This is an awesome story of Peter. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, because Jesus, basically what the story is, the disciples went ahead of Jesus. Hey, we'll meet you there. And Jesus decided to just catch up with them, except it was in the middle of the lake, you know, the middle of the sea. They're on the boat going from point A to point B, and then, whoa, there's Jesus walking on the water. So Peter, knowing that a disciple can, or a Talmud or a disciple can be like their teacher, says this, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus says, come. So Peter got, Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. And you're like, yeah, that's awesome, right? That's faith. That's trust. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And then he drowned. He didn't drown. Okay. Go back and study it again. He didn't drown. Look at what happens. Jesus, and the word is immediately, reached out his hand and took hold of him. And they said to him, what? Oh, you a little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You know, when he, what Jesus said to Peter was what, right? He didn't say, you stink at walking on water. You need to work at your skills at walking on water. If you, if you do it like this, you can make it. You know, if you have the right balance, you can make it. Fact is, nothing Peter could have done on his own, no amount of skill would have allowed him to walk on water. The only way that was going to happen was because of the power of who? Here's your, here's your chance again. Jesus? Very good. Round of applause. I'm serious. Come on. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Finally, we're awake. All right. Because of Jesus, but the one thing that Jesus did question, the one thing that Jesus did say is what? Oh, you of what? Of little faith. You have little faith. I challenge you to look through the Gospels this week and see how often Jesus says something like that. The one guy in particular he was amazed with was a centurion. He's like, hey, Jesus, I need you to heal my daughter. And Jesus says, well, sure, well, let me come to your house. He said, no, 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 don't, don't come to my house. Don't, you don't, I'm, you know, I'm this great leader, do people stuff. Just, you just heal her from here because she was a long way away. And Jesus says, I haven't, man, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. Faith comes up over and over and over 
in Scripture. We only walk on water. We only live the life God has called us to live by faith, by faith in Jesus. That's what we really need. Stop trying to manage your sin. Stop trying to be better on your own. Place your faith in Christ. What you have in front of you today is a, is a sheet that was handed out by Justin. And what this is, this is just a, just a small sample of what the Bible says that you are. This is the truth from the Word of God. That says things like this, you're God's child, right? You're a disciple, you're a friend of Jesus, you have been justified. You're united with the Lord, you've been bought with a price, you belong to God, you're a member of Christ's body, you've been chosen and adopted as his child, you're redeemed and forgiven. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14 says that. You're complete in Christ. Do you really believe that? You're complete? You don't feel that way, right? Feelings, again, the truth, not always two things that are together at the same time. Direct access to the throne of grace, free from condemnation. Confident that God, Philippians 1.6, will complete what he started in me. All these things, the, this is who you are. Place your faith in who God says you are. Live that way. And you will have a brand new, if you will, spiritual sense of security that will allow us, Madonna, to get in the car and be like, even in advance, I know if I mess up, you know what? He still loves me. Doesn't confidence do a lot for someone? That if you know you can fail and get up again? I mean, the, the kicker, the first guy, he was given plenty of opportunity. They didn't just pull him out after the first time. This is an earthly example, you know. But the confidence you give someone that says, no, it's all right, get back up. It's all right, get back up. That spiritual security is huge. Remember who you are this week. Would you stand with me? Gosh. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the truth of who you say we are. Lord, help us to really, really place that faith in you. Help us to be better at faith. Help us to be better at trusting you. Lord, let us be like the centurion who had great faith. Lord, in what you're doing in our lives and who we already are, Lord, help us to, to have that kind of faith in you that gives us a strong sense of security. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your grace your presence with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said...